G'day there and welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is called Dead to Sin and Alive in Christ, and it looks at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, and we're going to hear the reading from the Bible now. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ has raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died with has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray for me as I pray for you. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much for your word to us. And as we open it up today, we pray, Lord, that you would help me to expound it well and help everyone listening to this podcast to hear it well and to apply it to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Grigory Rasputin led a nation into darkness with one single idea. It's the idea that Paul writes about in our Romans reading when he asks in verse 1, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Rasputin came from a middle-class family and had a religious experience early in life. While he was never officially a monk or a priest, he traveled and gained a reputation as a healer and teacher of divine wisdom. He soon weaseled his way into the Russian royal family and got the ear of the Tsar, the king, and the Tsarina, queen of Russia. Rasputin left his wife and kids in the country and became famous in the capital city Moscow for his drunken sex parties, which often included the rich people he would leech off. Rasputin gave the king bad advice, which hurt the people and weakened the country. He became one of the most hated and feared men in Russia and was assassinated in December 1916. Three months later, the Russian Revolution began and the king was overthrown. Rasputin infected the minds of a nation with one simple idea. Sin is good news, not bad news, he would say. He said, the more we sin, the more we do what we're not to do, the closer we get to godliness. If God loves to forgive by grace through faith, why not give him more to forgive? If we've already been forgiven, it doesn't matter how we live. 
while Rasputin is one famous example, the idea that Paul presents is as old as time. So when it, it rears its seductive head, what do we do? We either give in to it or we fight it. Giving in is easy, but how can we fight it? By the word of God, of course. As we delve deeper into this passage, Paul outlines for us in Romans 6 what we need to understand to resist this cancerous way of thinking. In response to the question, shall we sin more so grace may increase, Paul responds with an emphatic no, or a heck no. Sin is bad news. Sin is what caused Jesus to die, and all those who are baptized have died to sin. Here Paul brings us back to baptism. Hopefully if you've been baptized, you know that on that day part of your identity died. Often we think of baptism as a gentle sprinkling, a cute rite of passage that we forget later. But here Paul puts a line in the sand and reminds us that baptism is partly about death. It's drowning the old self, sinking our sinful nature in a watery grave. There is a seriousness in the word baptism that we need to reclaim. Paul writes, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. Paul is saying here that in our baptism we identify with Jesus' death and burial. As Jesus died for our sins, so in baptism we say, Me too. Jesus died for me, and I also want to die to everything that made it necessary for him to go to the cross. In Paul's day, there were two basic ways of life that people had grown up with. They're still around today. On the one hand, there were Jews from religious homes who ate, dressed, and were sticklers for the law of the scriptures, the Torah, and the other laws that people added on later. On the other hand, there were Romans from either Stoic families who had their own religious rules or from hedonistic or pagan families who believed life was meant to be lived so you were happy with yourself. So when Paul comes along and says, you're made free from sin and set right with God by the death of Jesus, you can imagine the trouble it caused. Some may have said, well, there you go. Stuff the rules. We can live however we want. Others might have asked, well, now what's to stop me from murdering someone if I'm justified by faith? Or from sleeping around if law-keeping isn't going to help me? It's at this point that Paul draws the Jews and non-Jews together and says, remember your baptism. Neither mindless law-keeping nor reckless abandon are okay because they leave God out of the picture. Baptism was how all people became members of the church in Rome. And so Paul takes us back to our baptism and says, In your baptism, you left your old selves behind. You died with Christ. And as you rose out of the water, you rose a new woman or a new man. You became a new person in Christ on that day. In so doing, you committed yourself to God. We fight sin in our lives by living into our baptismal vows to follow Christ, no matter what. Our Savior Jesus lived a life without sin. So we commit to making our way his way. Paul continues to riff off this idea of unity with Christ in verses 5 through 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Here again, Paul gives us the basis for resisting sin when we know we've been saved by Jesus. He uses the analogy of slavery, which would have been familiar to his people. If he were writing to us specifically today, he might use the boss-employee analogy. If I have a boss, then that person has special power over me. Here Here the Bible is telling us that before we hear the gospel, before we take hold of our gospel identity, we're working for the boss of sin. Even the good things we do are sinful because they puff us up and make us think we don't need God. When our actions lead us to think we're more awesome than God, that is sin, no matter how good our deeds might be. If you've ever met an addict, they'll often tell you, I can quit whenever I want, but it's not true. There's a particular power and authority their particular poison has over them. Even when we think we're our own boss, sin is still our boss because it still has power over us. Outside of a relationship with Jesus, sin has power over us. Sin is our master. Lots of us today don't believe in sin. People say things like, sin is just something religious people made up to make us feel bad. This highlights how deep the issue is and how powerless we are to stop sin by ourselves. Sin is not neutral, friends. For Paul, we're either slaves of sin or we're servants of God. There are really only two ways to live. But here is where Paul brings us back to our gospel identity. If I resign, get fired or die, guess what? My old boss has no more power over me. Sure, I might act like they do out of habit, but ultimately their power is lost. In dying to sin, we make Jesus our boss. We find our place in Jesus Incorporated, Jesus Inc. And we are set free from sin. Whatever your earthly boss is like, friend, Jesus is a better boss, leader, master, and friend. That's why we choose to fight sin in our lives. Not because God's ready with a big stick to belt us if we stuff up, but because Jesus, our boss, is working with us through life, walking right beside us, giving us a new purpose and a new identity in him. This is where Paul really drives home our motivation for fighting sin in our lives. The reason we fight sin is because in verse 8, we died with Christ and we believe we will also live with him. Jesus gives us forgiveness for past sins. He promises us a future in heaven in a world without sin one day. But he also helps us to live for God in the here and now. Mike Bird says of this section, Paul is announcing that co-crucifixion with Christ means that believers enter a state of righteousness because God's justifying verdict is a speech act that begins to create the very reality It declares, if I get up every morning and say to the mirror, I solemnly swear I am up to no good, I'm not actually doing no good. But if I mean what I say, I will probably go out and get up to no good. There is power in self-talk. This is why Paul is telling us over and over again that if we've died with Christ, we also come alive in him. We're to speak this new identity over ourselves until we live it out. 
Who God says I am changes how I live. Who I believe I am will change how I live. If I believe I've been saved by Jesus, I'll love him and I'll devote myself to living the way he wants me to live. Because of Jesus' death, his followers no longer need to fear death. We are united with Christ. His fate is our fate. We're going where he's gone ahead of us. This partnership with Jesus frees us up to leave sin behind and live for him. My work, free time, and even my sleep will change. As someone who has coupled my life with Jesus, I'm entitled to the gift of grace and I'm freed up to do good works that he created me to do. Not to earn my way into heaven, but because I am already a citizen there. So friends, I'll finish with one simple application. And that's an encouragement for us to fight sin. Salvation happens in a moment. In a moment, we are brought from death to life as Jesus imparts his right standing before God to us. Sanctification, however, which is what Romans 6 to 8 is all about, is a lifetime of burying my old self and my old identity and living into my new identity in Christ. Sanctification is putting sin in my life to death every day. We live in a culture that says, if it feels right, do it. But the Bible says, no, heck no. God calls us to put to death lying, lust, greed, gluttony, hatred, racism, jealousy, slander, filthy language, pride, gossip, envy, violence, idleness, drunkenness, idolatry, selfishness, and all things that separate us from God and go against his word. God doesn't call us to this battle alone, though. God has given us his Holy Spirit who convicts and guides us. God gives us his church, people we can trust to keep us accountable and help us grow. Finally, God gives us the example of Jesus who resisted temptation, the devil and sin. Let's die to sin and live for Christ day by day. I'll finish with the words of professional baseballer turned preacher Billy Sunday. Here's what he said about fighting sin in our lives. Listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. And I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old, fistless, toothless, and footless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to hell. We're dead to sin and alive in Christ. Let's embrace our identity today and every day. Amen.